I don't know what your, some of your favorite movies are. Mine are survival movies. Um, there's just something about a plot of a survival movie where the main characters, uh, where they teeter on the line between life and death that just keeps you locked in. It's a pretty, honestly, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty simple method to keep people's attention. To always have people almost dead is, is intriguing for some reason. Um, and so some of them, uh, some of my favorites, one of them is Castaway. Yeah, you know, Tom Hanks is the main character. He goes on what he thinks is going to be a quick, quick business trip with the expectation of returning home uh, to his wife to celebrate New Year's Eve. But you all know what happens. His plane crashes, and he's the lone survival of this train wreck. And now he's stranded on a deserted island, and he becomes friends with a volleyball that he names Wilson. Another one is The Gray. Now, Liam Neeson is the lead character, so you know it's going to be intense. And... Um, He's this marksman for this oil company in Alaska that's drilling a new oil line. And his job is to pick off wolves that are coming after the workers of this oil line. It's really hard work. It's taking him far from his beloved wife. And the combination of missing his wife and the hard conditions of the wild north have left him fragile. Fragile mentally. And so he completes his job, and of course, on his flight home, they crash in the middle of the Arctic. And now he's got to survive the constant threat of wolves on him, while also have, being unstable mentally. See, he's expecting to come home to his wife and be nursed back to health, but now he's in more danger than ever. Survival movie. And there's Apollo 13. Apollo 13, true story. Uh, 1970, there's a crew of astronauts that are sent into space. They expect to be the third people to land on the moon. But on the way up, there's some malfunctions with the oxygen tank, tank, and they're going to be prevented from from having what they need for their mission. So they abort the mission, they go back to Earth, and they never land on the moon. So sure, each film's about survival, but it's also about expectations for a journey that get interrupted. Tom Hanks expects for a routine business trip. Liam Neeson expects to, be retur- to return home to his wife. The crew of Apollo 13 expect to land on the moon. But their journeys are interrupted by forces unforeseen. Well, this is my experience. My experience on sabbatical. You guys know, many of you, I've, I've been back for about three weeks and I've been gone for about three and a half months and, and I went on this journey of my sabbatical and I expected it to be full of serenity. I'd be able to release the weights that I carry with and for you. I'd get out of the grind of Sunday after Sunday with sermon prep. I could all of a sudden ignore my email. I mean, how could that not lead to serenity? These were my expectations for my sabbatical journey. But Jesus interrupted my hopes for serenity by going to work on my soul. And it was tough. There were times these last four months where I was barely holding on. I lost hope. The darkness I saw in myself was overwhelming. And thankfully, when I needed it most, God sent me this text, the text we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 4. Let's look at it together. Just like last week, I'm going to stop. When I stop, you say the word. You ready? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Let's try again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be... Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an after opportune. That last verse, cryptic, isn't it? We'll get there. All right, we're not preaching through Luke yet. I hope we spend, we're going to spend most of this upcoming ministry year in Luke. Uh, so today was just a passage that uh, hit me as I was kind of doing prep on my sabbatical um, for this. And, and that's when this got me. And the day before I read this text, I read the text at the end of chapter 3. And the text at the end of chapter 3 is when Jesus is baptized. If you know this moment, you know the heavens are open, the Spirit comes down on Jesus. And at Jesus' baptism, it comes after 30 years of Jesus living in obscurity as a carpenter in Nazareth. It's 30 years, what great character formation. And now, you can, now he gets to pair this great character formation with this unbelievable moment of the heavens being opened up and the Spirit coming down on him, and it looks like he's ready for a life of ministry, doesn't it? He's poised to teach. He's primed to do wondrous deeds. But that's not what happened. Expectations were interrupted. Maybe not for Jesus, but it was for me that morning as the reader of Luke's Gospel. In the very beginning of the text, verse 1, says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, if you're like me, you expect the Spirit to lead you into joyful places. Places of comfort, places of rest. And trust me, the Spirit does that. But if he leads Jesus into the desert, he can lead you there too. I can tell you, on my sabbatical, Jesus led me into the desert. And he led me there when I was tired. Well, look at when the devil comes to Jesus. The devil doesn't come to Jesus at the beginning of his 40-day fast when he first gets into the wilderness. The devil comes at Jesus after his 40-day fast in the wilderness. So it raises a question. When does temptation come to Jesus? When he's rested and fit or when he's tired and weak? Now, if you were to log all the times you're tempted, or at least aware of it, and then you went through them and asked the question, did this come at me when I was rested and fit or when I was tired and weak? I can almost guarantee you every single one of them is when you're tired and weak. So we've got good company here with Jesus. Let's look at these three temptations. The first one 
is to turn bread into stone. And if you look at it carefully, Satan is playing on Jesus' power. Satan here acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan's theology is pretty good. And he tries to get Jesus to connect the dots. One dot over here is that he's the Son of God. And the other one over here is that he's hungry. And if he's the Son of God and he's hungry, then surely he can satisfy his hunger by turning this rock into bread. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to turn rocks into bread? Rocks into your food? I mean, think about how much work it is just to eat. You've got to earn money to buy it. You've got to spend time going to the store. You've got to put the ingredients that you, buy, that you get on the shelves into your cart. Then you've got to put it on the conveyor belt. Then you've got to bag it if you go to Aldi like me. Then you've got to put it in the back of your car. You've got to make sure you've got a quarter and you've got bags when you go to the store. You've got to unload the stuff from the back of your car into the house. You've got to carry it into the house. You've got to put the food away. Then you've got to start cooking it. You've got to warm up the oven. You've got to wait for stuff to be cooked and then you've got to clean up after it. Think about it. Isn't that why going out to eat is so great? So really, this temptation to Jesus was about making Jesus' life easy. And man, I was tempted that way on my sabbatical. I thought, man, my life would be so much easier if I wasn't a pastor. See, being in charge, having authority, it's really hard for me. Some people love it. I hate it. I'd much rather lead out a relationship. I'd much rather just have influence as a Christian. But God's called me to be a pastor. And it's different than just being someone's friend and just leading out a relationship. It's hard. And so there's just a lot of days that I wish I wasn't called to be a pastor. Life would be a lot easier, at least for me, if I was just a normal Christian out in the pews. Man, this temptation came at me on my sabbatical, and it came when I was tired. Tired from COVID. Tired from the division and anger in our cultural moment. Tired from the pain I've experienced from my calling. And I just wanted to make stones bread. Make my life easy. Now hear me, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm not quitting. I don't want to take another job. I really do want to be here. I'm just telling you that this temptation came at me on my sabbatical. Because all of us are tempted to make our lives easy. What would be easy for you? What's tempting you to make your life easier? Giving up on your marriage? Maybe not getting divorced, but just saying... The level of one flesh intimacy just is impossible for the two of us. So you settle for something less because it's easy. Maybe you just want to avoid the pain of racism and poverty because you've got the option to. It just seems these issues are so complicated and confusing and so painful. 
So to avoid the pain, you just settle into a cocoon of luxury and you isolate yourself. I, I, I have no idea what you're tempted towards. I'm telling you what I was tempted towards. And I know that every one of you is tired. Tired from the last 18 months, so I know that temptation's coming for you too. If this wasn't enough, Jesus has two more coming at him. The second one that Satan brings on him is the temptation to be given all the kingdoms of the world. And here, Satan isn't being subtle whatsoever. He takes, he takes his masks off, and he just offers him straight-up power. And you would think if you were Jesus, this is easy to exist. I mean, Jesus is a kingdom within himself. He's a kingdom within himself, and he's the king of that kingdom. But remember, he's tired. And remember him getting this kingdom, what it's going to require from him. It's going to require that he suffers. I mean, remember that he's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. This time of suffering. But he's got something to learn. I know that's hard to believe because he's God, but he's also a man. And that's why Hebrews 5.8 says he learned obedience by what he suffered. And these 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, that's part of his suffering. And it was here in the desert that he's learning to be connected to his father. That he's learning that he doesn't have to have the power that comes from Satan in order to have power. But his power is going to come from suffering. See, think about what happens when you're in power. You expect respect, and when you get it, it goes to your head. When you don't get it, you get angry. Well, consider Jesus. He just spent 40 days, and now he gets this onslaught. I'd be indignant if I were him at the Father. I would have been saying, Father, how dare you allow this to happen to me when I'm so tired? I've spent 30 years preparing for this moment. It's time for me to get out there to gain followers and build my brand. But he's got to learn something. He's got to learn. He's going to have to experience the pain of the cross. The cross means rejection from men. It means being forsaken by the Father. It means his body being broken. And this same temptation comes to me and it comes to you. He offers us power. We want it. We want power over our children. We want to control them. We want to control who they become as adults. But parenthood is really less about controlling our children and more about listening to them. It's more about learning about who God's created them to be and helping them along that journey than gaining power and making them into our image. We have power over our spouse. We manipulate them. We manipulate them through sex. We manipulate them through money. Instead of being willing to suffer on their behalf. We want power culturally. So we use politics and hate the other side of the aisle. We want power at work. It's demonstrated by our intense criticism of management. How much time this week for your job at least in your own heart, maybe even with your words, did you criticize management over looking for ways 
to be encouraged by them. I ain't saying they're perfect. I'm just saying look at your heart. You see it at work as you get jealous over other people's promotion. You see your, your desire for powers. You want your career advancement. I don't know. See, Satan was clever with me. How he played this dynamic in my life. And I put this all together while I was on sabbatical. You see, before the church plan, I was in full-time ministry for seven years. Five with Young Life, two at Tate's Creek, our planning church. And those days with Young Life were successful. Air quotes. Successful. We were able to build this college ministry from nothing into something that was special. And all of that really did come with relatively little loss on my behalf. Then those first two years, at T, those two years of TCPC were much the same. The church grew a lot. And I was, while I was there, and I didn't have much skin taken off my back. So here I go. I go into planning this church with the same expectation. But I didn't understand that kingdom power comes through suffering. And while I was on sabbatical, I was able to catalog the loss of ministry these past several years. And the loss of ministry, many of you have experienced this alongside of me. You too have gone through COVID. You too, many of you have had to be in four worship locations in less than six years. Many of you have been part of the difficulty of trying to find a morning service and just waiting for, for that to happen. You also are mourning the loss of some among us. Some have moved away. Others have gone to different churches. Suffering. And what this temptation shows us is that the way of Jesus includes loss. And we're going to be tempted over and over and over again to gain influence without having to suffer loss. Temptation three. So he's been tempted to turn the rock into bread. He's been tempted to, with all the kingdoms of the world, if he'll fall down and worship at Satan's feet. And this last one comes off jumping off the temple. If he jumps off the temple, then the angels will save him. Now the temple is 400 feet tall. That's 67 feet taller than the big blue building downtown. And he's being tempted to fall off and have God catch him with his angels. And Jesus refuses to be put to put God to the test. See, what Satan wants Jesus to do is trust God for the act of jumping off the temple, but not for the decision to jump itself. See, tempting God always involves first making a decision without God and then expecting God to bail you out. But it really is just self-promotion. If Jesus would have taken Satan up on his offer, then everyone would have believed that he was the Messiah. Everyone would have seen it as the most public place in Jerusalem, the temple. I mean, if you saw angels catch Jesus, then you would have believed he was the Messiah. But Jesus gaining the reputation of the Messiah the Father's way was very, very different. It wasn't this public display, it was this suffering on the cross followed by resurrection. Many of you know uh, my wife Jenna, she's a nurse. She's seen some pretty gruesome stuff over her career. And 
Uh, part of her career, she worked at UK Hospital. Uh, UK Hospital for the uninitiated is a level one trauma center, meaning you get the worst stuff at UK. And some of the worst stuff that comes to UK, especially in terms of emergency, are motorcycle wrecks. So it's pretty safe to say that Jenna's pretty anti-motorcycle. So if you have a motorcycle, don't tell her. It's fine with me because I'm pretty risk averse. But imagine that I wasn't so risk averse. And I asked her, I said, hey, honey, I, I, if I get on this motorcycle, will you take care of me if I get hurt? Well, on the one hand, I mean, it's, I'd expect her to agree to that. But on the other, I think she would say, hey, let's just back up here. Why don't we talk about you getting on the motorcycle in the first place? See, it's not any different with Satan and Jesus with this temple temptation. The temptation is for independence with some insurance. See, Jesus knew that God had laid out a very different way for him becoming the Messiah. That God's design involved the cross. But there's a difference in these two options, and it's not just suffering. The difference is dependence. See, the difference in Jesus' option from the Father is that Jesus had to stay dependent on the Father all the way through, and he couldn't take a shortcut. Now you look at these three temptations. You see the differences. But they really are all about suffering, aren't they? He can't take the easy way out to make stones bread. He can't be given kingdoms. He can't be given power without having to suffer. He cannot get the reputation of Messiah by some grand feat. He's going to have to get it by dying. And all this begs the question, why? Why is suffering so central to the Christian message? There's lots of answers here. But one of them, the one that I experienced firsthand on my sabbatical, comes out of Hebrews 4. It's a passage that Justin quotes all the time as he leads our liturgy. And it reads like this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, in my mind, I have it that life should be pain-free. I should only ever win and never lose. I have in my mind that I should minimize my weakness and accentuate my strength. Yet Jesus just wasn't like that. He's weak in the desert. He shunned all the easy way, all the easy way out in order to embrace hardship. He was a man of sorrow, familiar with pain. He cried. See, he knows firsthand what it's like to live in a broken world. And because he does, I now can be helped by someone who knows what it's like to be me, to be tired, to be weak, to be tempted. Yet he didn't sin. See, Adam was tempted and failed. Jesus was tempted and prevailed. So instead of living in Adam's failure as one of his descendants, you and I can stand as one of Jesus' descendants. And as one of Jesus' descendants means that you get his righteousness. And when you have Jesus' righteousness, it gives you freedom to suffer without losing heart. 
because you have Jesus' righteousness, righteousness, you it gives you the power to suffer because Jesus' endurance lasts a whole lot longer than yours. Because you have Jesus' righteousness, you have a motivation to suffer, knowing that suffering leads to resurrection. And brothers and sisters, one day, there will be no more temptation. There will be no more suffering and there will be no more loss. One day, evil is going to be out of business. Temptation will no longer be a thing. Because Satan will will have been vanquished. Because the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And until the day that that Satan is vanquished... You can find fellowship with Jesus, the one who's been tempted, the one who knows what it's like to suffer, and that's enough to get us through.